Good morning. Please open your copy of God's Word to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. If you forgot your Bible this morning, there's always Bibles available at the Welcome Center. Or if you're new with us and you're not used to bringing a Bible to church, uh, we'd love to give you a Bible of your own. And those are available, again, on the Welcome Center, out in the foyer. Or if you just want to slip up your hand now, one of the guys will run and get you one if you'd like one. Everything we teach here at Cornerstone is directly from the Word of God because the Word of man is not reliable, it's ever-changing, but God's Word never changes and never fails us. Psalm 19, follow with me as I read. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." That was what we looked at last week, the power of God and the revelation of God in creation. Now pay attention as we shift gears to the revelation of God in Scripture, how God reveals himself through his, not only his world, but his word. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 is all about the revelation of God. As I already said, verses 1 through 6 describe how God reveals himself in his world. Verses 7 through 14 describe how God reveals himself in his word. What I want you to understand this morning is that the Bible opens with God speaking. I don't know if you've noticed that before. But the Bible opens with God speaking. In the very first verse, God is creating life by the power of his word. Psalm 33, 9 says it this way, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood firm. He spoke, and it was done. God alone has the power to bring life through his word. God reveals himself also in Scripture. We call this special revelation, which is God's 
self-disclosure of his will through his word. Scripture tells us how we can know God in relationship. Tells us what he is like, as the children learned this week in Kids Blast, the attributes of God. And it tells us how we may know this holy and righteous and merciful God. Today we're going to learn about how God reveals himself in his word and its implications for us. Again, though, I want you to notice that it is the power of God on display. Verses 1 through 6 talked about the power of God on display in creation. Here now we see the power of God on display in his word. That it is the power of God's words that bring life into our dead spirit. brings us to our big idea this morning, which is this. God meets the deepest needs of our souls through the power of his word. God alone knows what the deepest needs of our souls are. Why? Because he is the one who made us. Why? Because he is the one who designed us. His words alone can get into every nook and cranny of our inner being to give us what we need. His words give life. God meets the deepest needs of our souls through the power of his word. Take notice of all the different ways the author refers to God's revealed will in scripture. It is law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, rules. And then notice all of the action verbs which tell us what scripture can perform for us and in us. Reviving making wise, rejoicing, enlightening, enduring. And together, all of these terms show the practical purpose of God's written revelation. God reveals his will in Scripture to bring it to bear upon our mind and our reasoning because he intends for it to lead us to trust and obey him. Verses 7 through 8, we see four attributes of Scripture and the corresponding actions they perform within us. Number one, Scripture restores our souls to the fullness of life with God. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. We're going to spend more time on this first attribute than the other three because it forms the foundation of everything else that follows to the end of the psalm. The word reviving is a very important word. It can also be translated restoring. It's used in Psalm 23, probably the most famous psalm of all, to picture the straying sheep who is returning to the shepherd being revived, being made alive, being restored, and returning to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Psalm 60 uses the word to refer to repentance and conversion. So what you need to understand here is that Scripture converts the soul. It makes our inner person alive unto God. It refers to spiritual regeneration that is a new birth. 
Scripture is the tool the Holy Spirit uses to bring about conversion, to bring about the new birth, to save us, to bring us back to God. Left to ourselves, we are spiritually dead. We are alive unto sin, but not alive unto God. What is required is for God to transform us from the inside out. The scripture has the power to do that. The scripture has the power to change our inner disposition. It can breathe life into our soul. That word soul is a super important word. In the Hebrew, it's nafash, meaning life, breath, soul, mind. It's referring to our inner immaterial being. Genesis 2.7 tells us that on the sixth day of creation, the Lord God made man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. God breathed into that body that he made for Adam his very life and he became a living soul. That's the word here. So first God created Adam's physical nature. He formed that first human body from the dust of the earth and then God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Now in the New Testament, the Greek word psyche serves the same purpose. In the New Testament, the psyche is the soul or our inner person. And from this word, of course, we get the word psychology, which is the study of the soul. Psychology originated in the mid-1800s. That is the psychology as we know it. The study of the soul began with Scripture. It begins with the one who created the soul. But in the mid-1800s, there developed the new study of the behavior of man in order to understand his inner person, but did so apart from divine revelation, apart from Scripture. And it was and still is, basically, man's attempt to understand himself and his fellow human beings apart from Scripture. It is based on man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. The starting point is man rather than the starting point being God. And that's really the most basic contrast between what we would call biblical soul care and what the world refers to as psychology, the study of the soul. Secular psychology identifies and categorizes behavioral patterns, and in that sense, it can be helpful. However, it falls short in providing any remedies for man's condition, because it doesn't look at man's condition through the lens of Scripture. And everything that we learn, everything that we read, everything that we are taught, we need to learn to 
interpret through the lens of Scripture because Scripture alone is that which gives life to our soul. Scripture alone is that which is ultimately truth. Another way to say it is this, that secular psychology is descriptive but not prescriptive. It can be descriptive of human behavior and categorize human behavior in ways that may help us to understand how human beings tend to behave and respond in certain situations, but there is no remedy provided because the prescriptions that are given are based not upon God's revealed will in his word, but they're based upon man's wisdom. So psychology can observe human behavior, but without the laser-focused light of Scripture, they cannot properly interpret their observations. That's where the Word of God is absolutely essential to our understanding of why we do what we do, why we think what we think, why we function the way we we do as fallen sinners who need to be redeemed by a gracious and merciful God. So it's infinitely better for us to begin with Scripture. What does God say about human beings? What is our purpose in life? What does Scripture reveal about our internal, invisible wiring and how our sinfulness has has impacted and affected every part of our being? How can we have peace with God? How can we think clearly to think like God thinks? Well, the answer to that is only through what God has revealed in Scripture. I think a legitimate question for us to ask is, since the field of study known as psychology is only 200 years old, how did Christians deal with their mental and emotional troubles for the first 1,800 years of church history? And how did they deal with them even in Old Testament times? How did they understand the power of God's words to speak into the immaterial part of our being in such a way that we can be ministered to no matter what we are going through, no matter what our fears, no matter what our afflictions no, no matter what our painful past, no matter what our frightening future, God has a way of meeting us where we are in his, through his word to take us where he wants us to be. His word ministers to us. Well, the answer to that question, how have believers throughout history dealt with their problems, the problems of the soul? The answer is simple. They looked to the Lord by looking into Scripture. 
They look to wise Christians to help them guide them through the difficulties of life. They did the hard work of delving into the riches of Scripture and they asked the Holy Spirit to help them discern why we think what we think and why we feel what we feel and why we do what we do. They searched the Scriptures for wisdom the wisdom that is needed to know how to live for God in this messy and broken world. Believers of old lived in their Bibles, something that's very rare nowadays. Believers of old depended upon the scriptures and they hunted through the Bible to discern God's will in any and every situation they found themselves in. And they may not have had been able to find a specific verse that spoke specifically to their specific situation, but they did find precepts and principles and commandments and the will of God revealed in his word so that they could know the mind of God and follow God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law is God's revealed will. That word perfect in verse 7 is incredibly important as well. It means complete, whole, sufficient, lacking in nothing. In Psalm 1830, the word is used to describe God's way. That is, his way is perfect. In his commentary on Psalms, Derek Kidner explains it this way. In contrast to man's way, God's way is filled with flawless wisdom, love, and power, which are mirrored in the relative soundness of thought, motive, and achievement, which he produces in his servants. In other words, God's word is powerful enough to change the way that we think and even to purify our motives the motives of our heart. The Apostle Paul describes the revealed will of God as perfect in Romans 12 when he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that word, meaning complete and whole. We may receive help from many different sources throughout our lifetime, but the ultimate help and the only help that can actually fully make us whole is the help we receive from God in accordance with his word. God's word speaks life into us. So in Scripture, God reveals the wisdom of his way to us. And when we follow God's wisdom, Derek Kidner's point is when we follow God's wisdom in his word, it leads to soundness in our thinking and wholeness in our inner being. In today's language, I think we could say it this way that Scripture plays the highest, most significant part in our mental health. 
Scripture, God's word to us. God's word speaking truth into our minds, into our souls, into our heart, all the different words the Bible uses to refer to that inner person, the health of that inner person is most supremely helped by the one who created the soul and speaks words of life and hope and help into the soul. It is sufficient for every soul-related need we have because it is the living word of the one who created us. And just as God spoke life into the first Adam, so he speaks life into us in our soul. And he does that in order to restore our soul to the fullness of life in him the life that he intended for us. The life that has been corrupted and damaged badly by sin, and yet the life that he redeems for us in Christ. And he is making us new from the inside out, not the outside in, from the inside out. That's how he works. As one of your pastors, I am committed to caring for your souls biblically as best I know how, as best I can follow the Lord in his word. And I have seen throughout my ministry the power of God's word to transform the heart of the li- and the life of the believer who is humble and willing to walk in the obedience of faith, depending on the Lord, clinging to him through those extremely difficult times that we go through, and seeking his will in all things. So God's word is perfect, David says. It restores the soul. The New Testament affirms this when Paul writes in Romans 10 that it is by the hearing of the word of God that faith is actually birthed in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. And Jesus himself said, it is scripture that is the main instrument of how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, changes us, develops us, matures us, causes us to become more and more like Scripture. So when God saves us, he begins a new work in us. And the old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. This is the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit through his words. Isn't it incredible that we who were once God's enemies become his cherished, loved children? That that he rescues us from the orphanage of sin and adopts us into his family? 
In Christ, God becomes our heavenly Father who will never fail us, never lead us astray, never abandon us, never not be there for us. He is perfection. He is the perfection of holiness and love and mercy and compassion. This is the God who saves us through the power of his word. And then, having then begun a new life in us, he promises to finish it. So God's word is powerful enough for our salvation. It's also powerful enough for our sanctification. It can do inside of us what nothing else can do. So I always say to the people that I'm helping get through whatever they're struggling to get through, is there are many ways in which God may provide and meet your needs, but the way that I am called to meet your need is by speaking the words of life into your soul. That's my calling. That's the only thing that God has told me to do. And I've seen it happen enough in God's people to be incredibly encouraging. So God uses his scripture to change us from the inside out, to change our attitudes, to bring us into conformity to Christ. The spirit begins what I think we could call an extreme makeover of the heart. That's what every one of us needs. And it begins at the moment of conversion. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Secondly, notice, Scripture replaces our inborn foolishness with mature wisdom. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So Scripture is God's testimony about himself. And it's also his testimony of every, about everything that he has created. And as God's testimony, it is always accurate, always trustworthy. It is sure, David says. The word means firm or confirmed. God's testimony is verified. As the verified testimony of God, Scripture makes wise the simple. The Hebrew word translated simple refers to an open-minded person. In other words, a person that is so open-minded that they believe anything and everything without consideration of its truthfulness. It could also be translated naive. Scripture teaches that we are born into this world already bound to foolishness. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Any of you who has been a parent longer than a year knows this to be the case. <laughs> you have never had to sit your children down and say, okay, tonight we're going to learn about foolishness 101. I'm going to teach you how to be a fool. I'm going to teach you how to act like a fool, talk like a fool, treat other people like a fool? No. 
Because we come into this world with foolishness already born into our being, bound up in our being. And so one of God's purposes for his word is to replace our foolishness with his mature divine wisdom. And that's a growth process. You know that, right? All of us as adults know that. We're still growing. We're still trying to figure out some parts of life. We're still trying to walk with God in the faithfulness of obedience. But as we take in God's word and we respond to it, then one of the greatest gifts that God gives to us is wisdom for life. Just as the faithful parent imparts wisdom into their child's heart to replace the foolishness they were born with, so God does that for us. Through his word, he transforms us. So David is telling us here that scripture shifts us from foolishness to wisdom because it reveals the very nature of God. And the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 that Christ is the wisdom of God. Which I think is a wonderful testimony to the unity of the Bible. One of the the ways I think we've really grown as a church in recent years in, in every Uh, part of the ministry here from children's ministry, youth ministry, growth groups, and and everything is, is really starting to pay attention to the red thread of unity that runs from Genesis to Revelation, which is Christ and the glory of Christ. And so we're learning to not see the Bible as a collection of little bitty stories. You know, um, like, like a children's book of, of just random stories lumped together. Like a bunch of Aesop's fables put into a book. So we don't see the little boy who gives his lunch to Jesus and say, kids, you're supposed to share your lunch. And we don't say, David killed Goliath with five stones, so what you need are five stones to kill all the giants in your life. Why do we not say those kinds of things here? Why do we not teach that kind of distortion of the Bible in our children's ministries, in our youth ministries, in everything? Because the red, the beautiful red thread running through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is God is holy, we are not, and God did everything necessary to to redeem us from our sin that we might have life with him. And it all revolves around one person, and that person is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so isn't it beautiful (laughs) when the Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as the wisdom of God? And when you know that, you read back then into Proverbs, and all of the declarations about wisdom are not about human wisdom, It's all about the wisdom that can be ours in Christ and how we can walk with the Lord in his wisdom. And then you go into the book of James and you see the value of God's wisdom in in all the practical fruits that it brings into our lives. 
compared to man's wisdom. Man's wisdom brings disorder and turmoil and all kinds of trouble into our lives. But God's wisdom, divine wisdom, brings stability and peace and love and unity and all of those things that are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So as we meditate on Scripture and follow its direction and instruction, it replaces our inborn foolishness with God's wisdom. And we mature become, and become, in time, wise men and wise women who know the Lord and love the Lord and want to live wisely for his glory. And we're all at a different place in our relationship with the Lord. Some of us have more wisdom than others. I find myself regularly going to people that I think have walked with the Lord longer than I have and seem to be displaying more wisdom than I display. And I want to learn from them. The biggest hindrance to your growth is thinking you already have it all figured out. You think you have it all figured out, you're not going to grow. The only thing you're going to do is always be in instruction mode. No matter who you talk to, you're always the teacher. You're always the one who's correcting other people. You're always the one who's right. But when you approach God's word and walking with God in humility, you understand, yes, there are ways in which God has helped me to grow and see his glory and walk in wisdom. But there's a lot of growth still needed in my life. So I can learn from others. I want to learn from others. That's the heart that receives wisdom. The heart that, according to Proverbs 1, just hunts down wisdom and listens to every invitation she gives to come and learn. Thirdly, Scripture rejoices our saddened hearts. Look at verse Eight. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts means the precision of God's instructions to us, which are right. They're, they're morally right or straight, is what the word means. Not crooked. The world is drawing crooked lines everywhere because it's developing its own wisdom apart from God's word. Only with God's word can we begin to draw morally straight and right lines that fit in accordance with God's design for creation and for our lives. Jeremiah 15:16 the prophet says your words were found and I ate them. And your words became a joy to me and the delight of my heart. When scripture becomes the delight of your heart, it's amazing the strength that the Spirit can give to you in the most devastating turnarounds that you may face in your life. The words of God implant joy within the saddened heart when the grief of suffering overtakes us, where do we turn? Where can we turn? We can always turn to God's living word because it meets 
us wherever our heart is at that moment. The psalmist says in 119, I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, Lord, according to your word. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. Scripture can sanctify our emotions. They can restore our joy like nothing else can. And I can tell you this by personal testimony because there have been times in my Christian life when I have endured dark seasons of depression. And, and when those shades of gray kind of overtake my soul, and, and most of the time I can't figure out why, where do I run? I run to the words of the one who can give me life. And his promises lift my heart. They restore my hope. They restore my joy. They help me to to get my eyes off of myself and look to Christ and others. Charles Spurgeon, who also battled depressive tendencies through his entire life and ministry, he once said, the worst forms of depression are cured when Holy Scripture is believed. Again, there might be other things that are of help to people in times of depression. But the ultimate help, the ultimate hope, comes from God. It comes from his word. It comes from God speaking hope and life into our soul through his promises. So let me just encourage you, if you're walking through a valley of sadness, that the promises of Scripture can breathe joy into your spirit. And if you need help figuring that out and what Scriptures to meditate on, you need someone to walk through that valley of sadness with you, please, we are here for you. Cornerstone Community Church is not a country club for saints who have already figured everything out. It's a hospital for sinners who have been saved by God's grace and go through ups and downs and curves and turns and because that's the walk of life. That's the walk of faith. And we're here for you. Fourthly, notice scripture reveals the light of truth to the eyes of our heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Commandment here refers to the authoritative directives of God. In other words, God can command things of us because he created us. He can demand from us certain things because he made us and we are accountable to him. But notice that his commandments are not harmful to us. They're not bad for us. They're exceedingly good for us. And they're pure. The word means unmixed with evil. The commandments of the Lord are flawless. Commandments of the Lord give us spiritual sight 
Why is that important? Well, because the Bible teaches us that when we are born as sinners, we are born spiritually blinded by our sin. Ephesians 4 tells us that before we become a Christian, we walk in the futility of our mind. Our understanding is darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us because of the blindness of our heart. But at conversion, the words of God empowered by the Holy Spirit supernaturally open our eyes, eyes that have been blinded by the effects of sin. According to Scripture, the minds of unbelievers are blinded by the God of this world so that they will not see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. The gospel is what turns the lights on in our darkened minds. The gospel turns the lights on and we begin to be able to see life very differently because we begin to see life through the lens of God's revealed word. It enlightens our eyes. Therefore, the best practice for us as a church and as individuals is to immerse ourselves in God's word. As we immerse ourselves in God's word and we let the Holy Spirit massage the truth of God into the very fabric of our inner being, we experience life and hope and fellowship with God like never before. God's word will light our way. As the, uh, another psalmist prays, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Spurgeon said this, the great means of the conversion of sinners is the word of God. And the more closely we keep to it in our ministry, the more likely we are to be successful. It is God's word rather than man's comment on God's word, which is made mighty with souls. David exalts the word of God here in Psalm 19. And this is the reason we teach it here at Cornerstone. Scripture will never fail us. It is our sure guide and our abiding joy. It makes us wise unto salvation and then wise in living for God. It's powerful to minister to our deepest hurts and needs, and it's our only trustworthy, flawless guide. And I ask you to join me in a lifelong commitment from now until we see Jesus that we will continue to strive to understand God's word and graciously and wisely apply it to our own souls and and the souls of others that we may help each other in this journey, this pilgrimage, so to speak, with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have revealed your will to us in the pages of Scripture. The more we love and follow your word, the more we will walk in your ways and experience the fullness of life with you. 
Lord, we know that we all have a long way to go and are growing in understanding of ourselves in light of your word, our understanding of you and how you use your word to help us to discern what is helpful and what is unhelpful, what is false and what is true. You feed us. You feed our souls by your word. You guide us and direct us. All because you know that in the very beginning you created us to experience the fullness of life with you. And that's what you're remaking in us as we trust Christ and learn to walk in his ways. Help us, we pray. Guard us from pride that thinks we've got it all figured out. Show us, Lord, that we need to be humble, teachable students of your word from this day forward. And that through that, you will produce in us Christ-like character and grace and love and compassion and mercy that makes the world wonder what in the world goes on at that church in those people. May we be a testimony of how you save sinners like us and gradually redeem and restore and remake us into the very image of Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen.